Hello and welcome everybody once again to the 49ers Future Podcast. It's episode 17 of the podcast and with you as always is your host, Y2 Lamanaki, one of the moderators over at the Football's Future Forum, specifically the 49ers board. And with me, as always, is Forge, my co-moderator, co-host, friend and everything. Uh, Forge, welcome back to another episode. The first one that we can't blame uh, on Jay Ilg for after a loss. Yeah, devastating. We have to actually accept some accountability for this loss. Uh, what a great game. It sucks that we didn't come out, you know, on, on the on the better half of it. But uh, yeah, like just an amazing game. I, it, it took me a bit to come down from just watching that game. It was just, I mean, that was what you want to see when, you know, two heavyweights are just going at it like that. It was, it was great, great t- television. I, yeah, I was there in person, of course. So uh, this week I'm going to bogart the, the mic a little bit at the beginning because um, as I said, I was inside m Bank Stadium for the game yesterday and I have some Commentary on the game that I'd like to share, uh, same as we did for the Redskins game, which I also attended. Two games this year, two cold and rainy ones. The This one being a, a little bit colder and a little bit rainier. But, you know, I'm not going to bury the lead in my review. I'm going to come out and say it. Barring a catastrophic injury, here's the, you know, knock on wood. Uh, the next loss the 49ers suffer is going to come in the 2020 season. So, which, yes, means I'm predicting the 49ers will win Super Bowl 54 after clinching the number one seed in the NFC and beating whomever is put in front of them. So to me, you know, yesterday what I've witnessed, I think they're the best team in the NFL. Now I know, uh, you know, we just lost, so stay with me. Uh, I'll explain. Um, but I'm hoping we might have a few listeners who are not members of our forum and who not may not know me personally. So let's, let me put this per- prediction in perspective. The last time I predicted the 49ers would win the Super Bowl was back in 1989. Uh, that would be before Super Bowl 25 when the 49ers blew out the Broncos. I was five. So I just started watching football, could not even identify every NFL team, had just learned what the Super Bowl was. It was basically a meaningless prediction from a five-year-old that just happened to come true. Um, but 30 years later, I'm making this prediction for the second time. So uh, obviously that means that no, I did not think the 49ers were going to win the Super Bowl in 1990 when they didn't, 94 when they did, or any year of Steve Young, Jeff Garcia, or Jim Harbaugh. So you wouldn't know it from this season, but I'm typically a a pessimistic fan, and to be fair, my track record on predictions has only been wrong once in 1994. So I'm not a typical Homer fan making this prediction because it's my favorite team that's doing well. I'm predicting a Super Bowl win because I believe the 49ers are a team of destiny. I believe they're truly the best team in the NFL. So football gods, forgive me, you know I'm not boastful, merely expressing what I see, and it stems from what I saw yesterday in person. Yes, again, we lost that game. Um, It's the second time the 49ers have lost this year, both as time expired on a field goal kick. Uh, yes, the two teams the 49ers lost to are the Seattle Seahawks and Baltimore Ravens, two teams with only two losses as of recording. Yes, both of those teams have mobile quarterbacks. Uh, we know that we're going to see Seattle again, and I think we're going to see Baltimore again. Um, but the second time around, I think we're going to win both of those. So let's talk about yesterday's loss. You know, one would think I'd be a little bit more pessimistic after that loss, but I'm not. I, I, I actually feel great after experiencing it. So... First thing to talk about was the weather. Uh, you know, we sat down in our seats about 55 minutes uh, from kickoff, and it was at that point it was just a steady drizzle. But um, you know, it, it was enough to make things wet and annoying, but nothing that it, that would, had gotten too bad yet. So we knew the heavy stuff was going to start around kickoff time. Um, and when it started, it was a, a driving rain that got us that got us really soaked in, in very wet, windy weather. Um, you know, I wouldn't call it a downpour, but it was heavy at times and 
while it did let up in the second half, it never stopped in the game. Um, and with the windy, uh, the windy conditions, uh, we were commenting, you know, how the ball was car- being carried in weird directions due to the wind on throws uh, as guys were getting warming up. So, you know, we kind of knew that that was what we were going to expect. We were going to see a lot of running games, uh, which we knew was going to be something that benefited the Ravens. So for the game, um, I'm going to focus less on the plays themselves, you know, because we're going to talk a lot about that together um, on the next stages of the outline. But uh, let me focus on the atmosphere uh, and what won that game for the Ravens. So first, the atmosphere in that stadium was just absolutely electric. I haven't really experienced anything like it. I haven't been to a playoff game. Um, that certainly felt like one. felt a lot different than any game I had attended live before that. Um, there were a good number of 49ers fans throughout, enough to surprise many Ravens fans I encountered who all commented on how surprisingly well we traveled as a team. Um, but, you know, but it was far away. It was it was far from the, the you know the kind of away version of home field advantage we had gotten in a couple other games this year. You know we were still vastly outnumbered, um, but both sides seemed to have an understanding that these were the two top teams in the NFL that were playing, and because they're in separate conferences, meant this was a likely Super Bowl preview. Just had that kind of aura, like everybody kind of collectively understood that that's what was uh what was going on. So on the field, this led to some loud scenarios because the Ravens fans seemed to feel like they were going to see us and uh in the Super Bowl and they got really loud for this so the field routinely hit over a a hundred decibels they have a measurement in the stadium uh when the 49ers offense was on the field and it definitely impacted the team multiple times this meant a wasted timeout and um you know of course the lack of those at the end of the game ended up haunting us so on a neutral field of course that would be less of an issue but it was a contributing issue in this game um minor but still contributed uh, the other one that has been discussed, you know, the weather impacted this game. And I I believe now more than ever that it did hurt the 49ers uh, more than it hurt the Ravens. So the Ravens are built for that sort of game. 49ers are not. We had this discussion last week. Um, and as I said, now I'm more convinced. Uh, first of all, the field wasn't the mess that FedEx field was in Washington. This, this was a doable field. Um, you know, the stadium the Ravens have is awesome. I love it. The field was great. Um, but as Raheem, Raheem Mostert and Kwan Williams' ankles can attest, uh, you were able to get moving, and Lamar Jackson was able to make tricky cuts and moves. So if you are listening and doubt this, then consider this. You know, for as good as he is, Lamar Jackson hit 100 yards for only the fourth time yesterday, which means our defense yesterday allowed Lamar Jackson to rush for the fourth most yards he's run for on this year. The rain didn't hinder him. And if you think it did, uh, what do you think of our defense? I mean, how much... Do you think he'd get in good weather? Uh, you know, would you think our defense is worse than Cincinnati, which allowed his most yardage at 152? Do you think it's closer to Seattle or Arizona, which allowed, um, I think it was 116 and 120 respectively when I looked it up? I, I mean, Lamar Jackson got his yesterday. In in clearer weather, I don't think he's going to do a whole lot more against us on the ground than he already did yesterday. And if you want me to consider Mark Ingram, then we can. Our team did hold Ingram under four yards per carry. So, uh, you know, if you thought it would get better, and Lamar Jackson would go over 100 yards, uh, then I say Seattle, who allowed Lamar Jackson to go over 100 yards, and Cincinnati, who allowed Lamar Jackson to go over 100 yards, um, you know, both did similar, you know, both had similar games shutting down Mark Ingram. So the trend there, the, the Ravens run game, I don't think was slowed down in any way by the 49ers defense. I think they did what they normally do. Um, the only thing they didn't do was to allow, and they being the Niners, was to allow both players to have simultaneously good games in the way that, say, the Rams or the Patriots did. But I think the clearer weather would impact the passing game. So for us, that's clear because, you know, we couldn't get moving 
uh, through the air yesterday very well. Um, of course, we did have the big long touchdown to Debo. We had a couple passes that were that were good, but uh, that weather clearly, you know, was taking that ball and was doing things with it that the the quarterbacks didn't necessarily expect. And I think for us, clearer weather would would still have a larger impact. Um, of course, that weather did impact Lamar Jackson. He admitted such as well. But you give me Lamar Jackson trying to beat hit, you know, beat this team with his arm any day, and I'll say please, our our defense will win that particular battle any day of the week. So I say if you move those two teams to a neutral field, you eliminate the noise, you eliminate the weather, um, which in Miami, I don't think we would see a cold, windy, rainy day. Um, you know, there might be some rain, but, you know, usually weather's nice in Miami in February. And if you keep everything else the same, I think the 49ers win that game. And because I'm not concerned about the non-mobile quarterbacks, that really means the only two teams that truly concern me moving forward are the Seahawks and the Ravens. And I, I think we're just a better team than the Seahawks. So I say this team is going to win the Super Bowl. People can, you know, complain all they want about Kyle Shanahan, Garoppolo, the defensive players who made mistakes, all they want. You know, I have faith in all of them. I, this team has never had uh, the game that every other team in the NFL has had this year. That that one game where they just forgot to show up for the opponent, whether whether good or bad. This team just doesn't do that. They're focused. Um, they've given their best each week. So it doesn't mean they're perfect. They make mistakes. Obviously, they've made lots of them. And, you know, they made a ton yesterday. But... I, I trust this team's going to make up for them. I trust this team's chemistry. I trust its leadership. Trust its talent. All of that. Um, I even trust that in an even football matchup, considering con the controllable elements. I think the 49ers would beat any team in the NFL. The uncontrollable elements, things like injuries, weather, I don't think are going to get worse weather-wise, and or otherwise are irrelevant to the point that I'm making about those who played yesterday currently being the best collective 53 players in the NFL. So, because I believe only Seattle-Baltimore are built to contend with us from here. And because I believe we can beat each of them, because I can project, and I, because I can't project the unpredictable, I, I trust that the 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl. Call me a homer, call me crazy, call me whatever you please. I'm supremely confident in this team, and if you've heard this, I think you should be too. The right pieces are in place. So, Forge, I just said a mouthful. <laughs> Uh, before I hop into the first topic regarding the gameplay, is there anything here you'd like to yeah, respond a couple, to? Yeah, a couple things. So, one, I, I would actually argue that we did have the game where we didn't show up and we just happened to win it. And that was the Pittsburgh game. And we had five turnovers, three of them completely unforced. The defense broke down a couple times for those long touchdowns. Obviously we had the injury and Jason, Jason Verrett was in the, in the game for the second one. But yeah, I think we, we didn't show up for that game for the most part and we just still managed to win it. So that's nice when that happens. Uh, but uh, the only other thing is, yeah, so the rain was was interesting, right? Because I was an advocate for the rain. I thought the rain helped us. And the reason why was because I was hoping it would slow him down a little bit. And I don't think it did at all. So kudos to Lamar Jackson. He was very impressive in the rain. The, the movie put on Kawan Williams was just sick. But I didn't realize that apparently Jackson has a bit of a history with struggling with throwing the football in the rain. And he was a little bit off target in this game. And I, I did think going into the game that we would be able to throw the ball better in the rain. That was one of the reasons why I liked, I, I actually did like the rain because I wanted to make them one dimensional, even if it was running and we could sell out on the run. Didn't quite work out that way, but I, I'm interested in a rematch in a, in a ideal situation because I'd be curious to see if they continue to run as as much as they do, and I would expect that they they would. But would they take more shots deep? You know, would they would they open up the passing game? Their passing game was very very limited. I thought like they were 
targeting specific areas a lot. Most things were short. I, I think they only had the one pass that was 20 yards. That was the one that to Andrews for the touchdown. I don't think they, I mean, almost right. everything was just a few yards off the line and not necessarily in a design manner with which like Arizona attacks, like their routes were just like four yards and turn or four yards and, you know, slant four yards and cut. So I, and I thought that was by design, probably due to the weather. So I'd be interested in that rematch. Obviously Baltimore notoriously has great home field advantage. So it was nice to eat into that a little bit. So being on a neutral field, I think does very much favor us. I think I, I think these are two very very evenly matched teams. Uh, yeah, I think I'm not wouldn't be surprised at all if that is the Super Bowl matchup. Obviously, I think we both have tests in the playoffs. I like the way we match up against any team in the NFL at this point. I think Baltimore will crush New, uh, New England. I think they have to worry about Kansas City. So it wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me seriously. Like it wouldn't surprise me a lot if neither one of us make it because I could see a team like Minnesota giving us problems. I, it's, it's hard to say now. I mean, the week before we play them, but I feel good against the saints. They are a very well-balanced team offensively, defensively. So that's gonna, that's gonna create some, some trouble, but I feel comfortable against them. So I like our chances to come out of the NFC. No doubt about it. Like, I, I think, honestly, even though we haven't played New Orleans yet, I do think we're the best team in the NFC. And we'll see. Same. We'll see if that, yeah, I, we'll see if that happens in terms of, because again, I, I've mentioned it before in the board. Like, I just think on any given day, any one of those teams can be anybody. And, you know, in a one and done situation, it's it's kind of tough. So. so let's talk about the game. Um, we should start with Lamar Jackson because he was the star for the, the winning team. The game was all about him coming in, as it should have been. And as I noted earlier, uh, and as you alluded to, Jackson finished the game with, um, you know, great numbers. So 16 rushes, 101 yards. It was just the second time in franchise history that the team has allowed a quarterback to run for over 100 yards in a game. Which brings us to Forge's favorite game, Y2's impossible statistical trivia time. Forge, can you name the other quarterback the 49ers have allowed to go over 100 yards rushing? Wow. Uh, can I, can I get a, no, I don't want a hint. I don't want a hint. I was going to ask for a hint, like give me a decade or something, a year, <laughs> but, uh, I, I mean, I'm just going to play the odds and I'll say Michael Vick. <laughs> so the answer, <laughs> the answer is Aaron Brooks from the 2000 New Orleans Saints. That's right. The same 2000 New Orleans Saints that were the answer to the last week's trivia question. Making the 2000 <laughs> a low key regular talking point on this podcast. How about that? <laughs> so the Saints won that game 31-27 after Terry Allen ran in a one-yard touchdown with under a minute remaining. Brooks finished the game with 11 rushes, 108 yards. Jeff Garcia threw three straight incompletions and an interception to end the game. Um, back to yesterday's game, uh, Lamar Jackson was just as advertised as he ran over the 49ers defense. And yes, I think that's a fair statement. Ran for 6.3 yards per attempt, converted just about every time he needed to with his feet. It was tough to contain him. What did you see out there yesterday? So let me, let me start this off. I, I want to ask you, you a question because it's just more curiosity. So we've now played both of the front runners for MVP, which is commonly assumed to be Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson. Who do you think had the better game against us? That's tough because it's hard to compare the, t the, the two games that were played. 
So that's that's weird because we're not really comparing the same type of game because of the rain. Yeah, it's it's um, really different. I'm just curious because it's been a you know it's been a topic like on the NFL gen boards and and what have you. And I remember somebody asking like, why did Wilson get a bump in his MVP from the 49ers game? And I'm thinking like, you know, Lamar Jackson, yeah, he hit 100 yards, but Wilson had 50 and added 230 in the air. They both had a turnover. Like, I mean, I don't know. It's just it was is it. it Interesting question, I thought. Yeah, no, it's definitely an interesting question. One that I don't have a have a great answer for, um, just because it's. I don't know. I don't know which fair, of the two. Fair enough. I mean, they both got field goal wins. You know, like I, I, I don't yeah. know whose I would I would weight heavier in terms of what they did because you know if you take Jackson out of that game, <laughs> that game's a blowout. You know what I mean? Like right. who was their offense? He, he just was and. So it was really impressive from him overall. I will say that I thought this was the first game where an injury really, really hurt us. So we've done very well, right, for covering Mm -hmm. for the injuries that we had. And, you know, next man up coming in, defense is still strong. I thought this is a game where we badly, badly missed Quan Alexander. I thought that was – very obvious. Uh, Al Shire was just brutal in this game. He had a rough go of it, man. Uh, he blew several assignments. I don't know what he was doing a lot of the time. And he played a lot of snaps, man. Like he, it wasn't a situation where he just played a few, he played 40. So we had him in a lot. And I think, you know, if Quan's there, I, as, as weird as it sounds like Quan actually could have been the difference between a win and a loss in this situation. What do you think? I think that's fair. I, I think Quan Alexander, I mean, definitely was would have been a better improvement over Al Shire, and he would have moved Greenlaw into the Al Shire role, who I think would have handled it a little bit better. Um, Greenlaw's played better. I'm still not down on Al Shire. It was a, it was a bad game, yeah. But um, I do think that Quan Alexander could have been a difference maker there. Um, I also think D Ford might have been a, a Good guy we'd have loved to have uh, containing the edge on, you know, even if it was, excuse me, just as usual handful of plays, I think that would have been, would have been good. You know, Jackson's just an unbelievable player. He, I mean, he's so fun to watch when he's not facing the 49ers. The, the moves he can make on the run with sudden quickness, it's just unfair. Uh, or yeah. K1, he's going to be on Jackson's highlight reel for the rest of the time. Like that, that was such a, ankle-breaking, simple, simple kind of cut. Um, the Ravens fan next to me uh, after that said that they were going to have to cut him, and I noted that, yeah, but that's actually an awesome tackler at the nickelback spot having a Pro Bowl caliber year, too. Uh, you just made him look stupid. Yeah, <laughs> that, right? It's, it's, it's really unfair. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a great play by Jackson. It's not a bad play by Williams. It's just, And that's one of the things that I, I was really appreciative of in this game was that there were just a lot more good plays than I thought bad plays. That... I'm not holding Williams accountable for that. I mean, it was hilarious to watch and a little bit unfortunate for us, but it was a great play by Jackson more so than I thought like a bad play by Williams. So yeah, I mean, he's a special talent. He's a unique talent, which, which causes problems. I thought for the most part, we did okay. Obviously. I mean, he had 16 carries 101 yards, but amazingly his longest carry of the day was 14 yards. He had quite a few, like, 10, 11, 12 yards. So yeah, he broke some out, but 
you know, he wasn't Raheem Mostert. Let's just <laughs> sorry, I'm just exactly. I, I, but we're we're gonna give you a we're gonna give you a chance on that in a moment. Um, but before I do, you had actually had a better uh, lead in for the next one. Um, but I did want to say, you know, before we get off of Jackson, assuming we face him again, uh, I I think we should employ the Kaepernick strategy. Just hit him every single play on that read option. You know, another of his impressive talents is just disguising that handoff extremely well. I mean, watching it live, and I, I still, like, we were pretty close to the the field. We were only 13 rows in, so we could see the players pretty well uh, when they were nearby. And you just couldn't pay attention to who had the ball. I was directly behind him, and it, it was so hard to tell. So I say, just consider the quarterback, the running back at that point, hit him every time. That's what the defensive end should do. Don't crash down on the running back and leave the linebackers to try and stop him. Do it the other way. Why don't we have the linebacker spy Ingram? You know, hit Jackson every time. Then just have the other 10 members of the defense try and stop the running back, be it Ingram or anybody else that they tried out there every time. To me, I think that's the preferred strategy that I would uh, would, would employ there. I, I absolutely agree with that. And I, it, it does bring up a good question because I, I really couldn't tell. And I, I didn't know for sure. And that's why I was, I was trying not to be super judgmental on the defensive lineman. And it's, I mean, obviously that's what they do, right? They just go in like crazy, like madmen with their heads on fire and they just attack. And there's good right. and bad things to that. Like, you know, against Breeze, against Rodgers, that's, they're going to be in hell because there's no stopping. Like, that's what they do. But I, I, I have to wonder if, because we, I mean, Armstead, Bosa, they crashed on the running back each and every time and hit him. And you're right. It's it's an amazing fake by Jackson. It, it really is. It's it's high quality stuff, man, because it's very deceptive. But I'm just trying to figure out if it's if that was the assignment, or if that was just them going after the ball carrier. Because I actually don't understand it from either way. Because I'm on your side. Like Jackson is the one I'm concerned about. Because if Jackson gets space, you're in trouble. Mark Ingram's not going to run four point three one. You know, he's not. He doesn't have the agility and he, he the the flexibility to make the moves that Jackson does on Quan Williams. So I don't understand it from either perspective of the defensive lineman just going in and crashing on the running back or an assignment based strategy where that's what they're supposed to do. And the linebackers are supposed to pick up Jackson because I would imagine Jackson's got to be the priority. So what did you think? Do you think that's assignment or do you think that's just the players? I, I had a hard time kind of guessing that just, based on the fact that it was always 100% of the time. And you would think that even, you know, after doing that so many times, the players would be hesitant, but they weren't. They went after the running back each time, and they had to know the read option was going to be part of this. They just had to. They've seen it enough times. So I I think I think it's coached that way. That's the strategy. Get the running back, and then, you know, we'll have linebackers watching Jackson, and we'll try and get him out of bounds if we need to. We'll force him to the sidelines. Because that seemed to be the, the strategy each and every run was to just make him run out field and let our faster players get after him. But personally, I would do it the other way. I would just hit Jackson. Don't, don't even let him get out of there. Yeah, I agree. And, and my understanding is that on those plays, they're free game. Like there's no they roughing. Are. Yeah. There's no roughing call if you hit them. And you know, I mean, as long as it's a clean hit. So I, yeah, I don't know what the inclination was to, to crash down on the running backs, either as a player or as a coaching strategy as opposed to Jackson, because it's Jackson who concerns me. So that said, you had talked about Quan. 
uh, Alexander earlier, and I think that's a great segue into the next topic, Fred Warner. Uh, Warner just had another, or has just been another player who has taken, you know, an absolute leap this year. And I, I really think he's on his way to stardom. Uh, just another player on the team. We have a lot of those uh, that are just doing so well like that. Um, Warner had 11 tackles again yesterday. Has had double digits in four straight weeks without Quan Alexander. He's just doing a, an incredible job himself, uh, you know, replacing what Quan brought to the field. And he's becoming just an incredible all-around linebacker, you know, because he's good on blitzes. He's good in coverage. He can do everything. Um, he was very present again yesterday. Uh, what did you like out there? The most impressive thing I think about Warner so far this year is, is you just sort of mentioned it is, is that his play has actually improved and gotten better since the Quan Alexander injury. So he's taking on more responsibility, right? Because he can't count on Greenlaw all the time. He knows that there's, you know what I mean? Like he's going to have to take a little bit more on this. It's like a fifth round rookie that, that he's paired with right now. And it's like the burden fell on him and he's like, I got this. It's not a problem. And Yes, okay, the touchdown to Mark Andrews was probably more on him uh, than anybody, but, you know, it's a misstep and it happens. But he made two. Yeah, it happens to the best of players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just, whatever. Like, nobody's perfect all the time. And he came back, though, from that, and he made two huge uh, pass breakups, which, again, were great plays more so than bad passes or, you you know, anything like that. They were just great plays uh, in coverage. He's, he's there. He's, he's not getting fooled. He's subject. Yeah. Like anybody, he's subject to having a, a messed up here and there, but man, he's just on it right now. He's, he's flying all over the field. His speed and athleticism is clearly on display. You see, you, you know, see him running around and he just gets everywhere. Tight ends can't really break away from him. Running backs aren't doing any better. I mean, we're a team that, Coming into this game, third fewest targets, third fewest receptions against both tight ends and running backs, and the lowest yardage total for both. And, you know, that's a lot of credit to our linebackers because a lot of times they're the ones that are picking them up, and along with the safeties. So he had another 11 tackles, eight solo. Like, I mean, he yeah, he's turning into something really, really nice. And I, I did stop by into – uh, the Baltimore forum, you know, before and after the game. And one of the things they said is we really need a linebacker like, like Fred Warner. And that was just really nice to see like another fan base be appreciative of, of what they saw from Warner because he's been outstanding. Yeah. I'll say Warner was a, was a guy, a lot of people complimented around us. Um, you know, they also talked uh, a lot about Mostert. The, the Ravens fans seemed to suggest that nobody had gashed them uh, this year like he did. Um, so we're going to get to him in just one second. I just want to say you had brought up the question of whether or not Quan was the first guy we missed. Um, and you know, while it's, I, I think we did obviously miss him a bit in that game. I think that that Fred Warner is a decided line between the, the great player and next man up luck we've had this year. So, you know, at the beginning of the year, we talked about a lot of guys who were irreplaceable and some of those guys have went down, um, and we survived, you know, we even thrived in their absences in some cases, uh, like Emmanuel Mosley and Daniel Brunskill, and even, you know, Fred Warner with the loss of Quan. But Warner's the line. You know, without him and Quan, I, I think, I don't think that's something that we're going to be able to overcome. I, I do like Greenlaw a lot. Same with Al Shire, even though he, he did have that particularly rough game. But uh, while Warner can make up for the loss of Quan, I'm not sure that those two can make up for the loss of both Quan and Warner should it happen. So I think that's the 
that's definitely one of the lines on the team. That said, we've talked about, uh, or we've alluded to Mostert a few times. Let's jump to the offensive side of the ball to talk about the breakout star and the loss. You know, I've always liked him, but you've been the guy who's been trumpeting him for a long time. Raheem Mostert, 19 carries, 146 yards, long touchdown, uh, led the team in all of those categories. He had himself a huge game. I know you had to love it. Tell me about it. I, I did. I I feel I can't even begin to describe the feeling I had watching him just shred that Baltimore defense. It, there was a certain degree of vindication, like because I've just been complaining about this for, for a while with regards to Coleman. And while simultaneously, you know, kind of I don't want to say bashing the team, but being confused as to why we were putting so much emphasis on, you know, going after Lev Bell and, and going after Ted. Tevin Coleman, even though I, again, I, I thought that contract was fine for Coleman. I just didn't understand why. So yeah, I, I, there, to me, there's nothing that you don't like about Mostert outside of the fumbles. Right. And that's a legitimate issue in his past. Absolutely. But when he runs the football, the things that I like about Mostert. Okay. So first off, dude's a track star. He doesn't always look like it, like that touchdown run. He, I don't think he ever got anywhere close to full speed. Like he almost looked like he was jogging at certain points, and he's just that fast. But he drives so much action from his legs, right? So he has all of this power going through his legs that you see him being able to run through arm tackles, which is something that Tevin Coleman really struggles with. Like Tevin Coleman gets hit, he's probably going down. Mostert can really power through some some light arm tackles because of because of the, the the strength that that comes from the legs and the way his running style is. He's he's got a little bit of high legs, but not like super leggy when he's running. He just drives a lot of uh, of power from them. And then the stiff arm was was fantastic. So he can do that, right? He just shut he just shut down the Baltimore defender and moved right on by. Again, not something that you see from Coleman or even Brita. I mean, Brita gets around. He's he's a very smart runner, but he doesn't have that sort of aspect to his game. And that's the reason I like Mostert. He, I think, because of that running style, he'd actually be effective in short yardage. And I thought he was doing a good job of always moving forward in this game. I know one play where he had a negative yardage. And that was just because Selleck completely whiffed on the block. I mean, Selleck just man yeah. right in. So I don't even put that on him. He had, he had no chance. But everything else, I, I mean, maybe he had another negative run at some point. I don't know. But he was generally moving forward. And, you know, you can watch Baltimore. I brought this up. Like, I would love to know if Baltimore has the lowest percentage of negative plays because it just looks like they're always moving forward. And it, you know, it, it, th there's something to that. A yard or two, like it doesn't sound like a big deal, but when it's a yard or two as opposed to a two-yard loss, now you're talking four yards. And as Sherm said, I think it was Sherm during the game, these games are full of hidden yards like that. And when you have a guy who, you know, Coleman comes in on one play and he gets nothing and he just goes down and it was a zero. And I, that might've been the last time I saw him all game. I don't even remember, but there's a lot to like about Mostert. He's got that huge speed to get to the edges on those pitch outs. So he's great for that. He can do anything you want him to do in the running scheme. Do I want him to be a more, more natural pass catcher? Sure. Do I want him not to fumble? Absolutely. But when it comes to running the football, he's good. He's good. We don't need to keep signing these guys for 5 and $6 million. We have a competent running back 
trio with Wilson, Mostert, and Breida. I I think it's good. I, I you know I don't even think it's just average with this scheme. I think it's good. I was I was so happy to see it and and to finally have Shanahan just turn over the reins. I mean, Tevin Coleman ended up with some ridiculous. I think he ten snaps, something like that. I I he it was low. Yeah, ten snaps. And you know what? That's perfect for me because Mostert was ripping it apart. I just didn't want to see a two to one carry and snap share, which I thought Coleman, you know, didn't deserve at this point because he hadn't been productive enough to support that. So right. Shanny just did me one better and was like, you know what? <laughs> We're just going to let most it run, man. And I, I'm so happy about it. Like if you can't tell people I'm ecstatic about this because all the guy does is continue to average Five and a half, six yards a carry, and the sample size keeps growing, and his average doesn't decrease. He's now second only to Lamar Jackson in yards per carry in the NFL for qualified running backs or qualified ball carriers. The guy just That's awesome. Yeah, it, it, he just does it. So I don't know. I, I'll let you go. I, I've spoken my piece. Very excited, <laughs> obviously. I've been banging this drum for a while, so it was nice to, yeah. get to see it come to fruition. So he's he's clearly a more decisive runner than Tevin Coleman has been, and to me that's that's huge. Um, you know, I think that's one of the things that made Breida great in this, this system. They they make their reads quickly, and then they just charge all year long. To, to me, Coleman just hasn't seemed to have that same sort of oomph. He, he hesitates when he gets the ball. Now, I I hate to call it dancing because I don't really think he's doing that. He just he's not hitting. He's not he's not making his choice and hitting it with authority. Um, that said, I, I I think I'm with you. Uh, I I think I'm finally ready to say let's just get rid of Coleman along with McKinnon next year and and let's run with uh, Mostert, Brita, and and Wilson for a while. Um, right now, I don't know that if uh, this is intentional, if it's going to continue to be that way, or if this was just an in-game decision where they decided that Mostert was a better fit. But you know, I don't know how you go away from them. Uh, Mostert's three yards behind Brita for the team high in rushing yards right now. He has the fewest carries of the the three main backs, though. Uh, they're actually actually pretty even across the board for for those three. Coleman is 120, Brita 109, Mostert 92. Um, but Coleman is now 85 yards behind Mostert, so I I would just give Mostert the lead for a while. Uh, maybe ease Brita back in and keep Coleman as the rotational guy. Uh, you know, maybe make him a red zone specialist since he does have all the touchdowns this year. That's good. That's big. We can use that. Um, but here's a thought for you, and I'm sure you'll like it because of what I know about you and uh, your love for running backs and contracts. You know, the way the system has had success with running backs, what about a strategy of just identifying two guys you like every year, one at the very back end of the draft and one as a UDFA, keep the best of the two, and then just every four years, just rotate your back. You know, don't ever give any of them a second contract. Doesn't matter who. Just keep getting the fast guys that fit the system that you know they love. You keep getting two each year, so you just have to hope that one of them is fine. And then you just keep you keep running with them and just keep having a, a four back rotation throughout the year. You know, keep having the the guys ready in case there's an injury, and have a have a four headed beast. You know, to me this is kind of blasphemy because I am a running backs guy. Um, I hate the thought of you know saying let's not give a running back money when they're doing really well, but I think it works fine for the the Shanahan Niners. I mean, the system for for decades has proven they can do that. Uh, absolutely, I'm totally in favor of that. And 
I think because of the system, and this is why it's worked so well for 20 years under the Shanahan tree, right? I mean, Mike Shanahan was doing this in Denver. This is not a shock. Terrell Davis, Orlandis Gary, Mike Anderson, like he just made it work. And Shani has a preference for, for faster guys than his dad did, but it's not hard to find one cut and go guys. And the scheme, yeah, yeah the scheme lays out your your holes for the most part, right? I mean, every once in a while, you'll see the cut back lane. Coleman missed one on one of his uh, carries that a lot of people brought up uh, during the game. So you do still have to be a little bit vigilant and, and to be able to spy those. But yeah, I like, I, I hate it because I, you know, running, and I, I hate the fact that running backs aren't paid, you know, and because they do a lot of dirty work and they have, they have short shelf life. Right. Right. But it's just the nature of the beast. Like right now, Ezekiel Elliott has 990 yards and he averages 4.4 yards a carry. Like what, what's, why are you paying him so much just so he can take 25 carries as opposed to getting similar production from two guys, you know? And the only thing is, is that, you know, they're carrying 12 times a piece, you know, 12 and 13, you're splitting it up. It just doesn't make any sense. And I think you can find plenty of guys smaller schools, just guys who, you know, Brita, you know, the reason, I think the reason Brita wasn't drafted, he had some injury problems, but he basically just cratered his last year in college. His first two years, he averaged like eight yards a carry uh, each year. And then the last year, something happened. His season was terrible and he wasn't drafted. And so we picked him up. You can find guys like that at the running back position all the time. You're going to be able to find a guy who can run a four, three, five, who doesn't have production, who doesn't have, who's missing something, doesn't get drafted or goes very late. You pop them on the practice squad. You, you know, you do it. I think you can pretty much run that string out all the time in the current, in the current setting with this staff in the way the game is currently played. So I am absolutely 100% in favor of that. You know, you want to tag, tag Brito with the RFA tag, you know, give them three and a half million for one year. Fine with that. You want to pay them two to three, I mean, you know, four million, I guess, for three, four years, whatever, you know, like that's okay. For the most part, that's fine. But yeah, otherwise, just keep drafting them. Take a seventh round flyer, you know, trade out of your six, pick up two sevenths or whatever, and and just make sure one of them's always a running back and then grab one off the UDFA market. Like I think I, I think it's a valid strategy. I do too. I mean, look at the the preseason guys that we don't even have on around the the roster anymore. Uh, what was it, Walter and uh, the other one who just you know showed up out of nowhere and they were they were popping off big runs. I think they can identify those guys and find them. So uh, it's blasphemy in my head, but I know that it's it's probably the the way that the team should look at going uh, when it comes to the investment in the the running back backfield. But let's talk about our quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, you know, yesterday his game was eh, average, I would say. I mean, for bad weather, he did have the awful fumble uh, early on. He has had that problem this year, and it's something that he hasn't adapted to yet. Um, hoping he does, but it is one of his flaws is that he, when he's you know being sacked, he doesn't tend to tuck the ball away as as well as he can in, in this game. That came back to bite him a little bit. But otherwise, for the rain. You know, he was accurate, uh, completed 71% of his passes. I mean, sure, the placement wasn't terrific, but in that rain, you weren't going to get terrific. He did what he could. What did you think in the game? I'm with you. I thought it was fine. I, I thought 
Not not. I mean, the fumble was bad because the, the fumble was particularly a problem for me because a he could see the he could see the rush. You know, you're a little bit more forgiving on the blind side fumbles. He could see the rush, yeah. and it wasn't the first hit that fumble that caused the fumble. It was the second one, and I thought he had time to to secure the ball once he took the first hit and just go down. So to get hit a second time and that's when you lose the ball is, is more more of a problem for me. I agree with you that you know ball placement is kind of whatever. You have to be, you know, lenient with that. I mean, yes, like that there was a third and four where he had Sanders for an easy, easy first down. And he just the placement was off. Sanders ended up having to dive for the ball and, and we didn't get the first. Happens, you know, like it, that's what happens in bad weather. Lamar Jackson also off all day. I mean, it just that's yeah. What happens? So I'm mostly looking at decisions. You know, I want to see what decisions he's making in the game. I thought they were largely okay. Ironically, I thought, you know, his worst, I mean, he had one that really should have been a pick, uh, maybe even a pick six. But I honestly, his one really bad decision might have been the touchdown pass to Debo. Uh, you know, it's a gutsy play call. But, you know, you're looking at soft double coverage with two with two corners. Uh, Peter's right there, car trailing. Uh, so any batted ball is likely to get picked. You know, he got a, I thought he got a little bit fortunate that Peter's seemed to... I don't know what Peter's was doing. I Did he just lose it when he was tracking it? Like, that was sort of a weird look at, at Peter's when, when that ball was in the air. And then Debo obviously just made a really good play on the ball. Very aggressive, very very much a bully in that situation. So, but ironically, I thought that was not an ideal decision at the time. So I don't mind that decision. Uh, And and I liked it in the game. Um, That touchdown actually happened in our end zone, which was cool because it was, you know, right next to us. Um, But the, the reason I don't have a problem with it is because it was fourth and two. So even if that ball does get picked, you know, it's a punt. I mean, it's a punt in that scenario where they couldn't kick a field goal. You know, it was too far away for that. It was a 32-yard touchdown, which would have made it about 50 yards. And we know how our 50-yard attempt went in that game. Um, so I think the the throw was, you know, it was gutsy. But I like the trust that Garoppolo is building up in Samuels to do that. You know, because you have a, you have a unique thing that we haven't seen uh, on this team in a long time somebody throwing a jump ball and the receiver going up and getting it. And it's a receiver who's, who's not a big guy at that. Um, so I like it. I, I like the aggressiveness. I hope we see more of it. And I hope, you know, Debo continues to grow into that playmaker skin, which is why I don't really have a problem with it. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't mind the throw I, and I didn't go back and, and check to see if he missed any open receivers or anything like that. And I'm not going to, Thanks. I just made a note, like when, when the throw went up and it was touchdown, I was like, okay, that might be a questionable call. I, obviously it worked. I oh, do yeah. love the fact that, like you just mentioned, Debo's all of five of eleven, and we're chucking up a 50-50 ball to him because he's 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 an angry little dude, just angry little man when he's when he's playing football. So I love it. I'm with you. Uh, Debo continues to impress in that regard as well. Like just clutch plays. Uh, he, I mean, we definitely got it. We, we finally got a wide receiver pick right. I'm pretty sure. Like I'm super excited about that. Oh yeah, I agree. He, I mean, it, he's had the most yards for a rookie receiver since Crabtree, I believe, at this point, um, which is you know impressive because I think before that we're we're going all the way back to the you know the Terrell Owens era uh, before we're we're even hitting receivers who even you know remotely produced like it. So I'm excited to see what he does. I'm excited to see how he grows, and 
you know, we'll talk about that more in, in future weeks. Moving forward, I'd like to go, uh, you know, to the next topic. And the next two are going to be related. Uh, they're both about Kyle Shanahan and the coaching. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is time management. So we have a, a couple of couple of things going on here. Um, number one, we have the end of the first half, which was a situation where we had the ball about a minute and 50 to go, had a big run, and then we ran off a lot of clock, um, you know, before attempting a long field goal. There's been a lot of debate about that, so we'll talk about that. Um, but let's also talk about the, the decision to call a timeout before the two-minute warning uh, in the, the fourth quarter as well, when if we had saved that for afterwards, there might have been a scenario where we had some time to at least make an attempt at a comeback. What did you think? What did what do you like about uh, time management? What didn't you like? So my, my thoughts, I, I put a lot of my thoughts down on on the forum uh, for those who want to read them here in the game day thread. So I want to I want to. Sh- Shoot this over to you first, because I might get a little loud and, and rambunctious about this, because I do have, I, I'm trying to like keep myself calm and centered while also criticizing him, because I do feel like there's criticism warranted. So I want to know your take, how you feel on the, specifically the end of the first half time management. So I'll start, well, let's, I'll start there. I'll give you my opinion on both. Um, the end of the first half, I definitely think it was poor time management. Um, I don't think it was as terrible as some people have made it out to be, uh, you know, on the Twitterverse more than, than our forum. Um, I, I mean, I get what he's trying to do. Yeah. You want to keep the clock down. Uh, you know, we've learned what happened in the Seahawks game. Uh, when you, when you don't do that, you know, even the other team enough time, I don't think Sin was going to go any length of the field on that defense in that rain in that condition. So I don't, I, I would have been more aggressive. I, I think you could have, you know, just, I think it was seven fifty seven nine or might, who might've been the one who, who pointed it out. Just, you know, hurry up, still call a draw, still call, you know, handoffs or whatever, but get to the line quick, make the next decision get down the field, run the clock out as you get further down. You know, there were, there wasn't the need to do it right up front. Um, I, I just wish that they managed that better because we needed to get closer than 50 yards. The, the Shanahan should have known that uh, in in those conditions. Um, I, I don't remember Robbie Gould ever making them from 50 yards out in, before the game. Um, I was watching, but not closely. Yeah. Oh, and then yeah, one, I did I'm about to say, go ahead and give the uh, give the, the the back half your thoughts on that. So the, in the second half, when he called the timeout, I was like, oh. I, I made a note to my, my buddy who's a Ravens fan, best friend who was with me in the game. I said, you know, that I, I don't like that timeout because you guys get a first down and the game's over. We have no chance. Like, you're going to run it down, and Justin Tucker's going to hit a game-winning field goal. If he waits until after, lets you guys make a decision on what you're doing on that play, you know, maybe Baltimore gets a little bit, you know, doesn't know what to do with that play. Doesn't know if they need to be aggressive and they, they end up making a mistake. Uh, on third down or if they, you know, continue to run and hope that, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I, I didn't like the, the call at the end of the game either. So I'll start with the back half. I, I agree. I actually, the, in the thread, once we failed to convert on the fourth down, I made reference, like, we have to be careful. We might not get this ball back. And obviously that's what happened. I don't know. I mean, the the timeout, like I could see that either way. Like it didn't bother me so much at the time, you know, before the two minute warning. Cause I was like, whatever, like yeah. you're saving it, it. You know, they're, they're going to drain the clock anyway. So maybe you're thinking you're going to get more 
uh, you know, more, more time because you're forcing them into an action. So I, I really didn't consider it in any other, any other way at the time. And it didn't, honestly, it didn't so much really, really bug me. So I, I didn't really consider it or think about it. I understand your point, but I just, at the time, and even now I'm just like, I, I guess I can see the logic. Like I, I get what he's, you know, what, what he was thinking there. So I'll leave, I'll leave that be the, uh, the end of the first half though was a nightmare. And I fought the, I, I fought this battle on a couple fronts. So the first was with Jay all day, you know, and the question became like, Hey, do those timeouts really matter with where we're at? You know, we have three timeouts with 20 seconds. And really it was like 26, 20. So it, it was in that range. And it was from like the 37, I think, you know, do those matter? And I think they do, because I think even with those timeouts, when you're looking at 10, 15, 20 seconds and each one of those seconds is so valuable and so important that you have to play more risk averse. You have to, you can't have long developing plays. You can't have things that might accidentally run off the clock. Should you put yourself in that situation, especially once you're running plays with, with 10 and 15 seconds, right? I mean, it's not unusual to, to hold the ball before a throw between two and four seconds. Like that's a pretty typical time. So if you're only taking 15 seconds, if you only have 15 seconds, you're legitimately using up a third of your time to snap the ball, drop back and make a decision on where to throw it. And then the ball, yeah, yeah the ball's in the air. It's if it's caught, he's got to get tackled. Like I think having that little time, even with three timeouts was, was bad. So then there's like, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I agree. That feels like a, a Madden uh, time management thing there. Right. You, you can do it in Madden because you only have six seconds to run a play in, but not in real life, I don't think. Yeah, and, and, and that's, my, that's my, my issue with that particular part of it. Like, you know, Jay was presenting like, yeah, the, the offense absolutely sputtered out, but was the reason it sputtered out on that last set of downs because we didn't have time to work with. Like we were, we had to adjust what plays we could call because we didn't want so much time running off the clock that we didn't have a chance. And I, I can't really answer that, but it's certainly possible. And and for that reason, I don't like I, I don't like the, the the time management decisions we made. Now there's the second front to this, which is the one that and Pharrell presented, which was, you know, according to Shanahan and Garoppolo, they managed the clock exactly how they wanted to. And if that's the case, that's just bad. That's just bad strategy. So yeah, and seven. 757, you, you mentioned him. He and I, I think, are of a very similar mind. I like rushing the ball on first down, right? Because I'm I'm fine with wanting to be a little hesitant about giving them the ball back. You're you're starting, I think we started at the 20, we started at the 25. I think it was a touchback. So if you go three and out, leave them time, you know, they might end up with the ball at the 35, 40 yard line. Like they could move into field goal position pretty quickly with two timeouts. So I get that. The minute Mostert breaks off that 20-yard run and puts the ball at the 44, your mindset has to change. It absolutely has to change. You then go from, okay, we don't want to give them the ball back to we need to put some points on the board. Because, you know, even if you go three and out from that, that spot, Wish wasn't really struggling to punt the ball. He had two punts that both went 45 yards. So if he gives you something similar, they're probably getting the ball back at, the 15, you know, 
I mean, he just needs to punt it somewhat decently. And I don't think they're going to, I, you know, they might just kneel on it just to not even try and present that issue of, of maybe making a bad throw or fumbling or, or something like that with, you know, 50 seconds and a timeout left, what have you. So that's where I think he got caught in a really weird situation where he wanted to run clock off and was deciding between whether or not to try and score aggressively or not give them the ball back. And I, I, I think like Kevin, Tevin Coleman, he was a little bit hesitant to make a decision. And I kind of get that. And then on the back part of that, I think the Manny Sanders, I said it in thread as well. I think he was going to give up on the drive after that penalty. So it's sort of, a, yeah. I mean, that's what it felt like. It's sort of a weird situation. So I would have called the timeout after the, the first run by Moster because we bled off a good chunk of time after that. Uh, I think like 30 seconds. Then there was the, the Kittle reception for the penalty. And then we had an eight yard pass to Debo. So at that point we were second and 12 from the 42. I'm still okay with gunning it from there. Like I said, I mean, it's only three yards difference from where you were to start. You know, it doesn't change your punting position, anything drastically. I think you can still go with the run. I would have called the timeout after the catch by Debo, gotten everything set up again, and then decided on what to go for there. But I still would have went for it, and I would have went for it, you know, slightly more aggressively. I just didn't like the way it was handled in, in that regard. I think if it's your strategy, it's a bad strategy. And I think if, you know, it was clock management, then it was bad clock management. Was not a, was not a fan of how that played out. I did not think it gave us a reasonable chance to score at all. And I think that was a very important part of the game. And it just, you know, it happens. It, these, these situations are very, very fluid. No two situations are exactly alike. And so it's hard to ask for... 100% accuracy on each of these decisions. And honestly, it's a lot easier for us to say that from the comfort of our home or from the stands. So I get that from Shanahan's perspective and I, and I don't want to hit him too hard, but I do think it's something that should be critiqued. It's, it's, we, we, I think we are okay to be critical of the way that first half unfolded. Same here. Um, although I will add, I don't know how much comfort there was in the, in the stands while I did enjoy the game because it was an excellent game to, to see live and the atmosphere was great, I would have preferred to have been in any other condition, just about. Uh, I, I think even snow would have been an improvement because then I would have understood why it was cold. But uh, let's talk about the other thing that we have to talk about with Kyle Shanahan, and that's, of course, the, the fourth down play, um, the one that ended our, our last offensive possession. It was a pass on fourth and one. You know, there's about six minutes left in the game. We're trying to get a little bit closer because right now we're out of field goal range, um, but we are, are you know, pretty deep in Ravens territory. Uh, it's just a straight pass. Did you like the call? Did, would you have done something different? No, I, I didn't like the call, but in fairness, neither did Shanahan. He, you know, he, he's pretty candid after games, and I appreciate that about yeah. Kyle. And he basically admitted the same thing I thought, which was call a better passing play. Like, that's not that was not a great play. So... Just to set the stage, what happened was we lined up and Baltimore brought 10 men into the box. And that was what made Kyle decide not to sneak it. I thought we were close enough for the sneak. Uh, that was a, a point that had come up a couple times during the game. You know, because you always, it, it really depends on how far away you are. Like, is it a long one, almost two yards? Because then I don't really necessarily feel super comfortable with the sneak. But if it's a... Right you know, straight up one yard, then I'm usually running the sneak. I also thought like, again, Mostert, 
I, I, this is me and just my opinion of his running style. I think he's often moving forward. I think he has a lot of power in his legs and I think he's good at that. And on that set of downs, he went three yards, three yards, three yards. And I would have been okay with giving him the ball there. And if he didn't get it, he didn't get it. Now I get why Shanahan decided, you know, with them appearing to sell out and stack the box with 10, why you don't go that route. But that's got to be a play action pass. It has to be. I don't care if you do it out of the shotgun. That's fine too. You can still do play action out of the shotgun. I don't think it's as, as effective, but if they're stacking the box with eight, nine, 10, and then you're going to throw a pass just a couple yards beyond the line of scrimmage, that doesn't help you because all their guys are right there. Like it's just it, tactically, I don't love that. I I would I wouldn't have minded uh, a PA you know a PA bootleg. You're taking some risks there. If they get a you know if they get a free runner, that might be a sack. So I I will admit that there's risk there, but I don't think you can run that without running a play action and at least making their defense start to commit to selling out on the run to take a false step here or there. I I think that has to be a play action pass. That's my only complaint. Otherwise, that's fine. I don't mind that you didn't run the ball. I don't mind that you didn't sneak the ball. You can call that pass. It has to be a play action. I agree. Uh, I I I actually was preferring a pass in that situation. Um, fourth and one runs. I just I I never really loved them. Um, but in that situation, the the play action is what I thought we would do. Um, I thought for sure that would beat them. You know, given how many people they put in the line, we have a lot of good receivers off of play action. We have a great play designer. I don't know how we didn't have a play designed for, for that one yard and that sort of a situation. Um, but I agree. Play action was the way to go. That's the only thing I don't like about the call. I think the pass was fine. Um, you know, even in the past they did choose, unfortunately the routes kind of sucked because the, the pass was going to be to a, a Kittle who was well covered on the play. Um, but it was tipped at the line. There's nothing you can do about that. That's just, you know, freak luck, but it's bad luck that we had in the game, and that's how that one went. So at this point, we still have a few things on the the outline from the the game, but we're approaching the hour mark. So I'm going to put it to you: Is there anything else about the game that you wanted to point out or highlight? Um, anything special that's that's left that you wanted to to focus on? I, I thought you know mainly this game very very even keeled, right? I I, I thought. Like I said, I, I don't know how you come away from this game and think one team is significantly better or better at all than the other. I, I thought that's how close this game was. And I thought there were a couple just small things that that really just cost us the win. And it's not really putting it on any particular person or anything. I think it's just sort of like a an accumulation of very, very tiny events uh, of people making plays at the right time. You know, the, the end of the first half is one of those items that I, I don't like. The, the, the play on the fourth down, I didn't like, but also smaller things, right? So Richie James lets that punt go and they down it at the one via a great special teams play. And that, oh, that was amazing. Yeah, that was just a great play. And you can kind of, you know, admonish James if you want a little bit for that. But here's the thing. Yes, that ball was typically dying all day when it was hitting the ground. Like, there wasn't any crazy bounce. So I get the people who are like, hey, field that at the six, just call a fair catch. But at the same time, if he's not trusting himself to make that catch cleanly, then just get out of the way. You know what I mean? Like, just, just get out of the way. I'm fine with that because the turnover is the worst thing ever if you, if you muff that kick. 
So right. I'm not going to be hard on him about that. But there are just these very, very little things. Obviously, they get the, the ball batted down at the line on their fourth down play. Very, very small things. They get the big kick re- or punt return from DeAnthony Thomas, 18 yards. Uh, it's, I think it's the second longest return that we've given up uh, all year. The first was the first game we lost, and that was Tyler Lockett. That was 19 yards, I'm pretty sure. So when we give up a 15-plus yard return, that's usually not boating well. But just little things like that. I, I just thought there were minute differences in – you know, like Harbaugh wasn't put into a situation, in my opinion, like we were at the end of the first half. So we don't know if he would have mucked that up, you know, like it, it's sort of an individualized thing. We just didn't didn't get those to work. So razor, razor thin difference between the two. And, you know, it was just a couple of small things here and there that I, I think really sealed, you know, sealed the, the, the win for the for the Ravens. Very, very small things. I don't disagree much. I mean, I do. I'm going to stick by my prediction that we're the best team in the NFL. Um, I don't think it's by a lot. I don't think it would be an easy win uh, over the Ravens or anything like that. I think they are very, very closely matched. Um, I just, I, I still think we have the edge. Um, I think the things that went against us, it, it's hard to duplicate all of those things a second time. And I, I think the second time we'd get the better of them. Um, so I'm sticking with that. But that said, let's talk about the Saints for a few moments. Uh, we alluded to that one earlier. You had mentioned that you weren't sure if you were ready to say, uh, you know, we're, we're definitely going to beat the Saints. I am. I think the, the fact that it's Drew Brees and not somebody who's going to run around and escape the pocket and make us crazy all day, I think that's perfect for us. I think that's that's something that we can, we can dominate, much like the Rodgers game. Um, but that said, it's the finale of the first time ever that a team has faced three straight teams at 800 or above. Um, it's an incredible streak that we had to go through. The, the tough one's done. Um, now the Saints, that's probably the second hardest of the group. What do you think? How do you like that matchup? I, I mean, it's. I, I think it's going to be a tough matchup. Don't get me wrong. I The thing is, is, though, for me, is that I'm just not afraid of their offense. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but they just don't terrify me the way that Baltimore did. I, I think we play really well against pocket passers. Breeze is about as, you know, <laughs> statuesque as you can get in this league. They obviously have playmakers. Their offensive line is going to be a big deal. So we line up Bosa a lot on the right side. That means he's going to get Ryan Ramchick, who probably the best right tackle in the NFL. DJ Jones got hurt. I don't know what his status is going to be. They, their, their rookie center, Eric McCoy, has been phenomenal in protection. I don't know if they're getting Teron Armstead back or what the left side of their line looks like, which could be, especially if D Ford's back, be huge for us. Uh, Eric Armstead could feast a little bit. So, it, they they're they're very good on the defensive side of the football as well. This is a very good, well balanced team, but their offense doesn't scare me. So, I think it's I think it's going to be a good game. I think the fact that it's on the road does not help us. Obviously, it's going to be a tough matchup. I do really like our chances, and honestly, <laughs> this is going to sound bad, man. But I'm kind of hoping that Staley doesn't go because there's a part of me that just from a moving forward perspective wants to see Brunskill now against a, a really good front. So he was phenomenal against the Baltimore, but Baltimore doesn't have a lot of individually fantastic no. pass rushers, right? They got Matt Judon. Who's, who's pretty okay. And then it's a lot of blitzing, but he was awesome. He was awesome playing the left side. He allowed one hurry. That was it. And so like, I'd want to, I kind of want to see him 
up against like a Cam Jordan right now and just to see what we really have there. I don't know if I want to risk our season on it because as we speak, Minnesota continues to give the ball away to Seattle. So I think Seattle's about to take the lead here. Uh, but, uh, you know, so this game is going to be super critical. Uh, we control our destiny and it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a difficult destiny to control with what we have remaining in the, in the season for sure. Yeah. The, the thing that scares me most about the DJ Jones injury is the fact that apparently Julian Taylor had an injury as well, and it's a little worse. So it's one thing to to miss Jones. It's another thing to miss both nose tackles, uh, the, you know, the two defensive linemen on the team who are over 300 pounds. Uh, I think that's a, you know, something that, that I'm a little concerned about. But um, Jones is listed day-to-day with an ankle sprain. It doesn't sound like it would be a high ankle sprain then, which is a good thing. Um, might be something he can play on. Uh, that, that would be my hope. I'm kind of with you with Brunskill. I'd like to see what he does against good competition, um, especially because Staley, you know, last time was kicking off some rust after he missed a, a while, and he's missed another few games. So if he has to kick off rust again against Armstead, you know, I don't want a, a, a Jadavian Clowney situation. That's that's the one thing that I think that the team can't afford on the road in the Superdome uh, against the Saints. I think our defense is going to hold up incredibly well, uh, even – you know, without DJ Jones. Yeah, I think but. so too. If if Jones and uh, Taylor can't go, I would actually expect us to move Armstead uh, into the middle. Uh, he played a little bit there last year as a one tech. Obviously, it's a slightly different uh, defensive line alignment now um, with the wide nine, but uh, he played the one tech against Denver last year, uh, and he was pretty impressive. If you go back and watch that Denver tape, uh, he was really good in the middle. Now, I don't know if that's going to carry over, but that would be what I would expect to happen if both of those guys can't go. And then you would probably run. I mean, I guess you could say Buckner there too, obviously, but uh, given that Armstead is a better run defender, in my opinion, I, I would expect to see him in the one tech and then probably, you know, Ford and Bosa on the edges with Solly coming in. Um, and playing the edge every now and again. Uh, that would just be my guess, though. That sounds about right. So what's your prediction for the game? Uh, so, you know, I I feel really good after that Baltimore matchup, right? Like, I, I do. And I, I've, I've been very, you know, I've lauded the the, the Saints I, enough. I, I think they're a good team. I think they're very well balanced. And I think it's going to be a tough game no matter what. But I feel good, man. I feel good about this game. I think their offense, I think that passing game is going to struggle. As good as Breeze is, I think that passing game is going to be a struggle. I'm going to pick us to win. I'm going to say 31 to 20. I'm going to go 24-13, we win. Um, so I don't. I, I think I'm going to give the, the Saints defense a little bit of respect. Obviously, we don't have weather conditions to worry about. Um, you know, in non-weather conditions, we we score over 20 points. So 24 is kind of the the low end for that. But that's the respect I'll give the Saints defense um, to to mess stuff up. And then on the you know the offensive side of the ball, I'm I'm still giving Drew Brees a little bit of respect. You know, we held Rodgers to to about that. So yeah, that's what I'm or less than that I should say. It was only eight. Um, so that's what my my goal is. 24-13. Yeah, I probably should have adjusted for the defense because that defense is good and running the football is not easy on them. So that's probably a little bit high. So I'm just going to assume that we get like a pick six or something. That's that's how I'm going to go there. 
<laughs> that's how we're going to get to 31. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't had one of those in a while. That That's a good one. I, I approve. Approve all around. <laughs> so that's, that, that, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of 49ers Future. Once again, as always, we thank you so much for making it to the end of another episode. We would also like you to share this with all your friends who are 49ers fans or just anybody who might be interested in the 49ers in general. Um, share it with them. You know, help this spread a little. That'd be great. Um, otherwise, you guys all take care. Forge, any last words? Forge? Yeah. Last sorry. words? There we go. Sorry. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, you know, tough loss, but you have to feel good after that that loss. I, I, I think we just played the best team in the AFC. Uh, I think we are the best team in the NFC. There's no shame. You know, teams going undefeated is a hard, a hard feat. So there's no shame in losing two games. It's, it's fine. Uh, I look forward to this game and uh, you know, we'll just get back on track now. Absolutely. So I thought I lost you there for a second. Uh, Those listening don't know this, but we had a lot of technical difficulties (laughs) beforehand and, you know, it, it seemed to go really well throughout the whole podcast. And then the last second, I was like, uh-oh, right he's gone. <laughs> all right. So thank you all for listening. You all take care. We'll see you next week after the Saints game. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.